Okay, so tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about discovering hidden carbs and fighting cravings. Hopefully you all had dinner before we started. <laughs> so giving into a craving. It is a binge that wrecked your calorie count for the day. It raised your blood sugar and it brought on guilt. Sound kind of familiar? Ever have one of those episodes? Well, we want to understand why are we craving foods that are bad for us? Well, the first thing I want to emphasize is there is no good or bad foods. There's definitely foods that we want to limit in moderation, but we want to just make sure that we're getting a good variety of foods throughout the day. But unfortunately, heavily processed foods are designed for you to crave them. So why do we crave those heavily processed foods? Well, there's a lot of different theories. The first is that people with who are having low or depressed mood may have a dysregulation in their serotonin levels and this causes individuals to crave carbs. This would be kind of our rainy day weather. When we're having a rainy day, we just wanna lay in bed and snack. Or if we're having a rough day at the office, we wanna just go to the vending machine and grab something to kind of eat away at that anger. Um, we wanna just have those things that make us feel comfortable. But more often than not, our cravings are due to behaviors. So why do we have behaviors that cause us to crave foods? Most of the times we grow into habits with certain foods that we associate with comfort, feeling good, feeling calm, foods that we have with celebrations, and with jobs well done, as well as rewards. So what happens when we have a great day at the office and we get a raise or we get a promotion? We go out to dinner, we have drinks, we have snacks. What happens when you get a good grade in school? You go out for ice cream with your mom or dad, something like that. It's something that we've started very early uh, as a youth and it's something that's very prominent in our American culture to reward or to make ourselves feel better with food. So the people tend to be tempted by foods that tend to be crunchy salty, fatty, sweet, chewy, and smooth, like ice cream or pudding. So crunchy could be those chips. If you've had one of those afternoons where you just want some salty, greasy chips to chomp on, uh, salty could be kind of nuts, crackers, anything like that. Fatty, uh, that could just be just some extra uh, you know, a big piece of steak. You know, we don't necessarily think uh, our meat are fatty, but just having that extra fat content. Uh, sweet, Starburst, Skittles, any type of uh, jelly beans, things like that. And then chewy, like caramels. And of course we talked about smooth the ice cream and the pudding. So what we really also want to discuss is that are there certain people that are having cravings more often than others? A lot of the research has shown that restraint eaters who restrict dietary choices may or may not be prone to cravings. But we do know that if you are feeling hungry or over hungry, that you are having a feeling of being deprived, that can lead to more cravings. So if you skip breakfast or have a really light breakfast and a really light lunch, when it gets to be six or seven o'clock at night, you're probably really hungry and you're overeating and you get home from work or whatever you've been doing your errands and you're just eating, eating, eating from the cupboards. 
Well, if we would have stopped and, you know, gave our body some energy at breakfast time, we might not have those cravings in the evening. So we want to just see if we can spread those foods out throughout the day to not produce a starvation mode. So what research is showing that when it comes to cravings, um, exercising willpower is related to working a muscle. And I actually really liked this analogy when I found it. So every time you turn down a food um, or an offer of a food that you crave, that muscle will strengthen. But like any muscle, it gets tired. So to help resist difficult foods, uh, experts suggest you know creating a friendly environment where you have control. So if you guys have been to several of our classes, I've always used double stuffed Oreos as my example. I love double stuffed Oreos. And the serving size is two cookies. So if I buy a package of double stuffed Oreos, I will have two cookies, but I'll just walk back to the kitchen and have two more and have two more and have two more. So how I create a friendly environment for myself is I don't buy those double stuffed Oreos. So that's that's my willpower. You know, I, I, I might not have a enough of a willpower to not eat those double stuffed Oreos once I've bought them, but I'm trying to create an environment where I don't have that temptation. So it's pretty common, you know, you if you work a muscle, it's eventually going to wear out and it's going to get a little stressed out. So we want to just make sure that we're providing ourselves with some healthy options. So how can we distract ourselves from those cravings? Distract your brain is number one. So set a timer, take a 10 minute walk, make a phone call to a family member you haven't spoke to in a while, fold the laundry, put the dishes away, do something that will take your mind off that. Typically, if you can wait 10 to 20 minutes after having a meal, your brain will have enough time and to get that signal from your belly that you're full. You don't need extra food. Keep a food diary. When you experience cravings, write down where you're having the craving, what emotion you're feeling at the moment, and any cues to lead to that bench. So that's kind of where I have come to that conclusion with my Oreos. I understand that if I buy them, it's a trigger and I'm gonna eat them, so I'm avoiding it. Uh, this is very a similar uh, situation to how a lot of times we help individuals quit smoking. We will have them write down where do they smoke most often. Is it in the vehicle? Is it while you're watching TV? Is it when you're out with buddies? Things like that. So we want to just know what's going on or what's happening that experiences those cravings. And then you know, practice preventing those cravings as much as possible. So make sure you're not hitting periods where you're super hungry. This is the most important. If you have not given your body any energy or any food or drink that has some fuel that your body can use in 12 hours, it already goes into starvation mode, which sounds funny because we're not gonna starve after just not eating for 12 hours, but our body slows down. Your brain and your belly and everything, they're, they're sending all these signals and they're like, okay, you haven't given me any energy for 12 hours, so I'm gonna make sure I slow down all your processes just to make sure, just in case you, you're not gonna feed me. So those individuals that do skip breakfast, lunch, and snack, and then they, they get to that evening meal at six or seven o'clock at night, first of all, you're super hungry and you're gonna overeat because your body's like, oh, finally, I'm getting some energy, some food, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you think you're hungry even though you're not, and I'm gonna make you overeat to make sure I get enough energy because you didn't feed me all day and I'm upset about it. <laughs> so we, you just have to not get to that super hungry part. If you eat foods that are healthy for you 
with a higher protein content, there's less chance of, that you'll have a craving. So when we have a food that is a strictly just a carb, like sugary cereal, a piece of bread, uh, anything, a piece of fruit that's just mostly carb and does not have any fat or protein, it's going to digest very quickly and we're going to be hungry. It's going to spike your blood sugar and drop your blood sugar, not to an unhealthy low blood sugar, but it's going to spike it and then drop it and you're going to be hungry. Now, if you had put some peanut butter on that piece of toast that had some fat and protein, it's going to slow down your digestion, you're going to feel full, and then you're going to have some more energy and fuel to work with throughout the day. Plus, it's going to decrease that craving. If you're not starving, your brain, if you are not starving, your brain won't be working against you. So this is just letting you know that if you don't feed your brain, you're going to be forgetful, you're going to be irritable, you're going to be hangry, that new fun saying that they all say, not angry, you're hungry, you're both. Uh, you're, you're going to be moody, you're going to be snippety. And so we want to make sure that we are giving our brain energy. And that's where we want to make sure that we're getting enough carbohydrate throughout the day as long as as long as we're also having some fat and protein. Our brain needs that carbohydrate. It needs that sugar to have energy to function properly. But we just wanna make sure that we're having the appropriate amount of carbs and that we're having it spread throughout the day. Know yourself. So this kind of goes back to my Oreos. Identifying patterns can help you figure out the foods that you can manage and those you cannot. So everybody has those foods that they really can, can eat plenty of but not overeat and then we have those foods that are our triggers that we could eat a ton of. So the idea is to recognize which foods are challenging, make a plan to eat what you want but not enough to feel as though you've ruined your eating plan. So if there's something that you could substitute for a sweet and salty snack, that's what we're going to try to do. Satisfying swaps. We want to swap a food that you crave for a more healthful alternative and that will just help decrease that craving, give us some proper nutrition, and then also be satisfied with some of the sweetness and maybe the saltiness of a food that's similar to what we're craving. So to satisfy a junk food craving, consider whether the treat is salty, sweet, crunchy, and then pick a replacement that is close in texture and flavor as possible. So we have some examples next. I use my Oreos. Number one, so swap Oreo cookies for a tablespoon of fat-free whipped dessert topping between two low-fat graham crackers. So the graham crackers still have the crunch as the cookie would, and then there's still some filling inside, which is also white colored, you know, because we do associate things with colors, and it still have some sweetness to it, and then it will be lower in fat, lower in calories, and lower in carbs. Uh, for breakfast, swapping a cinnamon sugar donut for a whole wheat toast with a light smear of margarine and a dusting of cinnamon and low calorie sweetener. So I love to have cinnamon toast in the morning for breakfast. And it, it is pretty satisfying to have a little bit of that cinnamon and sweetener on there. And it, it gives you a little bit extra to the, having just a plain piece of bread with a little bit of butter. So it gives you a little extra flavor, gives you that sensation. So helpful swaps. What we really kind of wanted to also touch on a little bit was there are certain hormones that do affect individuals that are overweight and obese. So resistance to certain satiety hormones can develop. So these people really may be experiencing more hunger physiologically. So there is always a lot of debate, you know, do individuals that are overweight or obese, is it just because they cannot 
you know, control themselves or is it something that they're genetically predisposed to? So absolutely, there are some hormones that are affecting those individuals that are overweight that is kind of going against them as far as being able to help fight those cravings. And it's great for a patient to be able to hear this because they know that the hunger is just not in their head or that they're not being strong enough to control those cravings or that they just have a love of food and they cannot um, control it. The first hormone, there's three of them, and we're just gonna touch on them briefly. The first one is leptin. It's a satiety hormone. It's, it's produced by fat cells and it works to suppress the appetite in the brain. So I think the first thing when you hear is that you have a hormone that's produced by fat cells, you're like, oh my gosh, well, if I'm overweight, I have extra fat cells, and it's, you know, is it working, is it not working, what's going on? Well, we all have fat cells, and it's a necessity that we have a certain amount of fat cells because we need that fat in our belly to protect us um, as far as our organs and proper growth. So those fat cells that have this hormone, we need that, and it's gonna be able to work to help suppress our appetite in the brain. It's gonna send that, that message, okay, I'm full. The second one is grenaline. This is the hunger hormone. This is one I think we hear, I don't know if you've heard of any of the hormones in articles, but this is the one that I, I see in um, articles to the public most often. It's secreted mainly from the stomach lining and travels through the blood to your brain signaling that it's time to eat. So this is a normal process. Grenaline works on a cycle. It's gonna raise before meals and it's gonna drop after meals. So this hormone is, is what we need. It's in every single individual and it will tell you when it's about mealtime, like I'm hungry, the hormone's gonna signal to your brain, okay, I'm hungry, it's mealtime, you need to feed me. And then after you eat, it will drop this hormone after meals. So this is a very normal, healthy cycle. The grenadine levels actually are lower in the obese, which probably surprises most of you, but they're more sensitive to the appetite-stimulating effects. So the obese have less of this hormone, but it's very, very, very sensitive. And that's probably where we will see that extra hunger in someone that is overweight or obese. The last one is dopamine. This is the reward hormone. Uh, dopamine directly activates reward and pleasure centers in the brain, which can affect both mood and food intake. So eating increases dopamine and increased dopamine with the in intake of high-fat foods. So dopamine levels will also rise with sugar intake. So we have both high-fat and high-sugar foods that can lead to increased appetite, overeating, and weight gain over the long term. So this is where we will see... Uh, where someone is not feeling, you know, they're just kind of in a grumpy mood and then they eat some ice cream. Well, the ice cream has sugar, the ice cream has fat, and it's gonna trigger this hormone in their brain and then they're gonna be happy. So that's where we see a lot of our emotions being affected by our food intake because of this hormone. What can we do to manage these hormones? Well, we don't want it to be confusing as far as what we're supposed to do with each one of these hormones, but the most important thing to do with our bodies is to eat on a schedule. We really do wanna to try to maintain three meals a day and not to have too many hours in between meals. We wanna have consistent carbohydrate intake if we're diabetic. We wanna make sure that we're eating a high protein breakfast. Protein and fat stay with us a little bit longer, but it's most important to have protein at breakfast time so we're not just eating some carbs, having our blood sugar shoot up and then we're, we're not feeling the best, we're hungry. 
Uh, eating a mix of macronutrients at meals and snacks. So macronutrients are, is your carbohydrates, your fats, and your proteins. And the best way to kind of hit all those is to hit all the different food groups. We want to make sure we're having some fruits and vegetables, a lean meat product, and having a low-fat dairy product. Seek pleasure from other activities. So if you are definitely one of those individuals that has some emotional feedback from eating foods or eating snacks, then maybe try to do something else to kind of cheer yourself up if you're having a rough day instead of going to the vending machine or ordering out, things like that. Uh, go for a walk, call, call a relative, spend some time with a pet, a, a family friend, something that can you know just really make you feel good about yourself or if you have a little project, work on that, things that, that can increase your activity but not um, fulfilling that craving with eating. Getting adequate sleep. So as ridiculous as it probably sounds, if you don't sleep very well, you tend to overeat the next day. It's just how it works. So we wanna make sure that we're trying to get plenty of sleep at nighttime. Uh, this is where they really recommend making sure that you're watching TV in a separate room, don't eat in bed, don't, you know, don't uh, be watching TV in bed. Make sure that when you go to bed, you're going to sleep and that's where your body recognizes that it's time to go to bed and commit to regular exercise. So this doesn't have to be something strenuous. It's not saying you have to go out and do an hour workout routine <laughs> every day to prevent cravings, but you know, even just walking around the block, you know, getting up from your office, walking around the building, something that just kind of gets your mind off of those cravings, but also just gives your body an extra, you know, pick me up like, okay, let's I'm going to go for a walk now. I don't I don't need to go have some chips, things like that. So some common questions I get from diabetic patients specifically over the last five years. When looking at nutrition labels, what should I focus on, calories or carbohydrates? So my number one question after education. Well, if you only look at the carb grams, odds are you will exceed your calorie needs for the day. But if you restrict your carbohydrate intake too much, you could miss out on foods that supply important nutrients um, like vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants that help reduce the risk of excuse me, cardiovascular disease. On the other hand, if you only look at carbohydrates, you're probably going to choose some foods that spike that blood sugar. So what is the best tactic? You need to keep an eye on both, and I know you said, well, which one do I look at? I, you already told me to watch both. But you need to keep an eye on both while following a balanced diet. So this is where I really, really emphasize getting back to making sure that you have a food from each food group. If you have a lean meat, which is fat and protein, that's fabulous, it's gonna stay with you, it's gonna give you energy, it's gonna you know, keep that digestion going. A vegetable, this could be a carb vegetable or a non-carb vegetable, depending on how many choices you have to spend. A fruit, a low-fat dairy item, and whole grains at every meal. So if you're getting a food from each of the food groups, which we want to do anyways, and staying within your carb choices, you will actually just be able to follow that calorie restriction um, that we recommend while just following your carbohydrate intake. So that's where I'm saying they both kind of fall into place if you look at both and just kind of try to stick with the different foods from the food groups. Without care carefully reviewing food labels, you may be eating or drinking more carbohydrates than you think. So just a reminder, even though you may have been using the same ketchup or the same 
salad dressing or the same sauces or the same seasonings. You know, manufacturers do change their recipes and their ingredients over time. So make sure that you are double checking labels. We typically eat the same foods in like a two week cycle. We hit the same foods every two weeks probably. So just, you know, every once in a while, make sure you're checking that nutrition label for your carbohydrate intake and just making sure that that manufacturer hasn't changed something to where it might be affecting your blood sugars. And that's a good thing to take a look at, you know, if you're having some blood sugar spikes throughout the day, just kind of look back at your food for the, the last couple days or the week and just say, okay, is there something maybe I should double check that might be a little bit higher or am I miscounting something? So that's kind of the food cravings part of the presentation. The next part is hidden carbohydrates. This is something that I, you know, there was a few things that I didn't, I had thought of um, on my own, but there was a few things that I was like, oh, that's a great reminder. So with diabetes, we want to make sure that we're counting our carbohydrates and keeping our blood sugars in control to, you know, prevent any complications. So we want to really just take a look at all of our foods and just make sure that we're counting our carbohydrates correctly. Uh, the first one, they said the number one hidden carbohydrate was spaghetti sauces. So the sugar can boost the carb content of pasta sauces that they use when they process that product. So most uh, spaghetti sauces have 14 grams or one carb choice per half a cup of sauce. So when we have spaghetti and meatballs, you know, we typically always remember to count the noodles and you know, a lot of times we remember the meat is free from carbohydrates, it still has fat and protein and cholesterol, so we don't wanna overeat it. But sometimes we forget about all the sauce that we put on it, we kinda of think it's a freebie. So making sure that we're really counting the spaghetti sauce. A fresh tomato that's not processed has no carbohydrates in it. But when they jar it up, can it up, when they spice it up, when they put all that stuff, when they process it, they actually add quite a bit of sugar. So watch spaghetti sauces. Uh, the next one is barbecue sauces. Most of the barbecue sauces are made with ketchup, brown sugar, and molasses. So that's something that we really have to make sure that we're counting, uh, like a barbecue pork chop. We, we, we know the pork chop is free from carbohydrates. It's a fat and protein. But if you got a lot of barbecue sauce smothered on top of it, you do need to count that as one carb choice. If it's a breaded pork chop with barbecue sauce, we'd have to count that as two carb choices. We have to count the breading that's on the pork chop and then the barbecue sauce. I think this is something that it's a good time to talk about with summer. We're grilling out a little bit more with the nicer weather, but we're using that barbecue sauce a, a whole lot more in the summertime as well. So guys are grilling ribs and they're fabulous, but we gotta make sure that we're counting that barbecue sauce when we're putting that on top of our ribs. Uh, the third one is fat-free salad dressings. This is something that I do see um, very often with my uh, patients and so I always like to remind that uh, fat-free salad dressings, a lot of times if a product is fat-free, they replace that fat with sugar and if a product is sugar-free, they replace that sugar with fat. They have to do that so it still tastes good and that they can still have the same texture and the mouthfeel. So uh, the best example is Dorothy Lynch. We all know that Dorothy Lynch uh, dressing has some carb, it has some sugar in it, that's why it's a little bit sweeter and there is a fat-free version of Dorothy Lynch. So that would actually have even more carbohydrate. Um, it would not have less sugar. So we wanna just make sure that we're really watching any product that is fat-free because it will be increased in sugar and carbohydrate content. 
The extra carbs come from the sugar that they put in it, the corn syrup, honey, and other sweeteners that they just use to replace that fat to make sure it still tastes good to you. Uh, veggie burgers. So this is the one I didn't think of. You know, we do hear veggie burgers and we're like, oh, well, that's healthy. It has less cholesterol. I'm getting some vegetables. But most of those veggie, veggie burgers are processed from vegetables, rice, wheat, black beans, milk powder, which are all carbohydrate based. And that's how the patties are made. Now, most of the vegetable um, burgers that I have seen in the frozen food section actually count as two carb choices. They're at least 20 some grams of carbohydrate. So, and that's fine. We just gotta remember to count that as, as carb choices. And that's something that we need to, to remember. But the great thing about it is most of the veggie burgers are already made up and they're in the frozen food section and we can look at that nutrition label and know exactly how many carbohydrate grams we're getting from that veggie burger. <coughs> Uh, sugar-free puddings. So this is another one I always remind my patients. Uh, sugar-free does not necessarily mean carb-free. They may have cornstarch for added texture and they have to have something to thicken it and set it up. So sugar-free pudding cups count as a half of a carb choice. They always have at least eight grams of carbohydrate and it doesn't matter which flavor. If it's sugar-free chocolate, butterscotch, or vanilla, they're all about a half a choice for uh, one sugar-free pudding cup. The sugar-free Jello is free though, so that will have little to no carbohydrate. So those sugar-free Jello snack packs, those are free. Uh, teriyaki sauces, so that also goes with uh, barbecue sauces. A lot of times, those will have a lot of extra regular and brown sugar that bumps up the uh, carbohydrate content. So just making sure that we're watching that. Um, say, for instance, if we go out for Chinese. I think a lot of times people will substitute like sweet and sour chicken for teriyaki chicken thinking that the teriyaki sauce is free versus the free um, sweet and sour sauce. So we just need to make sure that we're still looking at that as a possible source of carbohydrate. Cottage cheese. This is one I did not think of. You know, we always recommend cottage cheese as a snack because A, it has calcium, which is great to have. And also it has protein, so it keeps us full. Um, but some of the cottage cheese providers, um, manufacturers, they have the natural carbohydrate from the milk, but some brands are actually using cornstarches and also um, added things to thicken it, and, and that raises the carbohydrate, kind of similar to what they put in the pudding. So just double check your brand of cottage cheese. Uh, I think we tend to probably always get the same brand, the same fat content. So just double check that real quick and make sure that you're not getting some hidden carbohydrate from that cottage cheese. Still a great snack for a diabetic patient, but we just don't want you to get that hidden carb. Uh, the last one, imitation crab meat. So a lot of times we, we know that we get to have, you know, that plain beef, that plain turkey, the plain chicken without the skin that would not count as a carb choice. We have to watch the fat and the cholesterol, but we don't have to count as a carb choice. But um, imitation crab meat was one of those things that came up as a hidden carbohydrate. The real crab meat does not contain any carbohydrate, but the imitation crab meat has about 11 to 16 grams per half a cup, so one carb choice, because they add sweeteners and wheat starch. So kind of a trend here. They're adding starch to thicken those things or to change the mouthfeel a little bit. Uh, so a healthy alternative that would also be carb-free would be the canned tuna or salmon. It would be low carb or no carb at all. 
I have actually a few other foods just to remind us with um, hidden carbohydrates. These might not be as tricky as the other ones, but you know, just looking again at our beverages, we have the juice. Our juice it just adds up quickly. I don't think it's a hidden carbohydrate. We know there's sugar in juice, but just remembering to stay with our portion size. A half a cup of orange juice is one carb choice. And then also chocolate milk, uh, kind of like where we forget to count all the barbecue sauce and the ketchup. We forget what's in our, in our milk. You know, we think that the white milk is okay and the chocolate milk is just the same, but we have to count a half a cup, or excuse me, a whole cup, eight ounces of chocolate milk as two carb choices. So white milk of one cup or eight ounces is one carb choice, but chocolate or strawberry flavored would be two. Uh, breaded chicken or fish, like chicken strips, big old fish sticks, patties, things like that. We need to count that as one carb choice if it's about this size. So just remembering to count that breading if it's pretty thick, like chicken fried steak, things like that. Um, fruits, like half of a banana is one carb choice. A small apple, and notice how small it is. This is one carb choice, so not necessarily hidden carbs in our fruits, but just really remembering portion size. Fruits really healthy for us. We get our vitamins from them, but we just have to remind ourselves of the portion sizes. And then last but not least is combination foods. And combination foods is like pizza, lasagna, homemade uh, casseroles, tacos, Chinese food, things that are kind of mixed together and it just has different levels of carbohydrate. Uh, one cup of homemade casserole, we wanna count as two carb choices, or one cup of homemade soup is two carb choices. But you know, just try to remember what's in our foods or what's on top of our foods. Like the taco shell is one carb choice. We got beef in there, which does not count as a carb choice. And the cheese, lettuce, and tomato are also free from carbohydrate. So, but we got to make sure that we're just counting all those things that are in our foods or on top of it. All right. Thank you.